there, I'm Leslie Goodburn. You're listening to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. In the podcast, we look at pancreatic cancer across its impacts, outcomes, and future treatment and support. We'll hear from patients, loved ones about the reality of the diagnosis. We'll hear from surgeons, oncologists, and nurses about the work they do to support people who are affected. We'll hear about the wonderful work done by researchers to find a breakthrough in understanding and treatments for the future. We hope that as a result of the podcast, you'll learn more about the signs and symptoms, about how this diagnosis affects the family, about the hope for the future. Thank you for listening. Charlotte and I look forward to you joining us on our journey through pancreatic cancer throughout the 30 days of November with contributors from across the world. The Purple Rainbow podcasts are produced as part of Seth's legacy in memory of my wonderful, kind, curious, funny husband, Seth Goodburn. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm Charlotte. Today I'm chatting with Anna. Now, Anna is a doctor who has a research interest in pancreatic cancer, and we had a fabulous conversation all about the psychological effects of pancreatic cancer. I began by asking Anna to tell me a little bit about what it is that she does. In my day job, um, I work with people with mental health problems. Um, In my research job, um, I am currently sort of developing some um, sort of proposals for some research I'm hoping to do, looking more into the sort of psychological impact um, for patients with pancreatic cancer. Um, In the past, I've already done a sort of interview-based study, um, and that's been published, and I'm hoping to kind of follow up on that in the future. Um, But it all, sadly, uh, well, as as most of the time these things do, but it does rest on funding, so I'm hoping to, to get the funding to be able to carry it out. And what was it about pancreatic cancer that, that got you interested in the area for, for research? It really it started when I was working in intensive care medicine um, in one of my first jobs as a doctor. And um, I one, one day we had a patient who'd had a Whipple's procedure because um, I was working in a centre that, um, that did quite a few of these. And um, in as a very junior doctor on intensive care, you have... You may be a bit less useful um, because I couldn't, we can't really do any of the difficult procedures. So I would spend quite a bit more time sort of talking to the patients. Um, and as someone that knew they wanted to do psychiatry, it was a nice opportunity because most. I don't think any other job I've ever had, I've actually had that opportunity within within medicine. It's always too busy. And um, I was speaking to um, this patient that had had their operation the day before, and. Um, we, we were just talking about his his experience of the diagnosis, um, how shocking it had been for him, um, how sort of devastated um, he was, how afraid he was. Um, and he became sort of quite tearful, actually. And um, we talked quite a bit. And so every day that he was on intensive care, we, we sort of chatted about different things that he was thinking about and what he was worried about. Um, and then he then he got sort of stepped down and, and, and moved to a different ward because he didn't need to be on intensive care anymore. And, and that certainly kind of started off a, oh, you know, I, I think we I think we need to be doing a bit more to sort of support people, um, you know, with with this particular type of cancer. And then 
um, as, as fortuitously, as a fate, I guess, my next job was actually in um, upper GI surgery. So working with people more directly um, who had this type of cancer. And so not just the people that had, had the operable sort, um, but the people that didn't um, as well. Um, and certainly that kind of reinforced to me that um, because with a lot of people, sadly, you know, it, it, it's quite um, the symptoms sort of creep up on you. Um, it's not like other types of cancers where you might have, you know, a lump in your breast or, you know, a change in your bowel habit or something like that, um, that might be kind of warning signs for so many people. It is such a shocking and terrifying diagnosis and it, it can happen so suddenly. And so that was where I thought, yeah, I really want to do some work in this area to see what we what we can do to support people better. And when you talk about support, is that the the emotional support that people need as well kind of that that's your focus isn't it yeah absolutely um i think i think it's really it's it's tricky it's tricky as a doctor and it, you know because you really want to kind of spend time and everyone that i've spoken to kind of the surgeons and the oncologists everybody and and this and the clinical nurse specialists everybody wants to spend more time talking to patients about these things but there's not necessarily the time um and i think it, it can if you're not used to talking to people about their emotions and what they might be feeling I think it can be quite intimidating it's, it's something that I do every day in my job as a as a psychiatrist um so it doesn't really bother me um and I don't tend to overthink it as much but I think if you're not used to it and it's not something that you do all the time it, it can feel a little bit you know um a little bit nerve-wracking and, and quite a few people have said well I really want to ask people about how they're feeling, but I just don't know what to do with with whatever it is that they say. Um, and some of that is about resource. You know, I don't really know what, what I would tell them to do if, if they were really struggling. And so I just don't ask. Um, and I think that can end up with people sort of really struggling with, with, with emotions. Um, and even people that don't struggle, um, sort of, I suppose, seriously um, or in a way that really, really impacts their daily life. Um, it can just be helpful to talk about what you're feeling. And certainly when I was doing my interviews for my first piece of research with this patient group, a lot of people said at the end, you're the first person that I've ever really said this to. And I feel so much better now I've said it. And I think as well, people don't want to burden eat other people as well. That, I think that's such a big... It, with, with or without a pancreatic cancer diagnosis, people don't want to be a burden to anybody yeah, else. So absolutely. it's that, that big thing, isn't it? So what has your research been looking at then? You've mentioned a bit about your research. What are you looking at in particular? So the the, the bit that's been published is um, a sort of interview-based study um, for uh, sort of interviewing people who had had um, a Whipple's procedure. Um, and um, essentially, I was sort of looking at uh, what their experience of sort of the diagnosis had been, um, how they found the experience of having surgery, recovering, kind of maybe having chemotherapy as well, um, and how it's been since since kind of being discharged, kind of getting back to normal. Um, I think a lot of people said, you know, this isn't really normal. Will it ever be normal? Um, and I think it, there can be a lot of expectations. I know um, some people have been told, oh, well, you'll be back to normal in a year. Um, but for many people, then they're, they're not back to normal in a year and they might not achieve what they were able to do before um, and I think that can feel quite disheartening for for people um, so essentially I was sort of looking at sort of talking to people about their um, 
journey and I hate the word journey but their journey with cancer um and their experience of kind of living with it and then in some cases kind of living after it um you know if they weren't needing any further treatment is there a difference in the severity of the cancer as well we all know that pancreatic cancer has such devastating um consequences essentially it, it does that have an how much of an effect does that have on on people's emotions that sounds like a really obvious question or really, there should be a really <laughs> obvious answer to it but I'm wondering if there's more nuance to it maybe um I mean there possibly is more nuance to it I I think that um in my sort of experience kind of anecdotally um I think there certainly is a, a difference in the experience that people might have um I think as in addition it's 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 a it's, it's a cancer that, as I said before, is quite um, insidious. It creeps up on you. It's not like cancers where you might have kind of more warning signs. You know, sometimes people are um, diagnosed sort of almost by accident um, through being investigated for something else. And because it is such a, a serious um, cancer with such, you know, poor prognosis, sadly, um, and I think that that can be really shocking for people, whereas with a lot of other cancers, um, especially ones that are more common, you know, like breast or bowel, those can be very serious and many people do die from them, but they are much better known than pancreatic cancer is. And in general, outcomes do tend to be better. And I think it can be really frightening being diagnosed with a sort of comparatively unusual cancer with such poor outcomes because it can be really hard to find other people who've been in that in that boat. So I do think that, you know, because of the shock and because of the kind of um, poor prognosis of a lot of the cancers, it can affect people in a different way. How can people, both patients and families, be best equipped then to deal with this in, in when it comes to their emotions and, and their, their, their mental well-being? Um, it's a really good question. And as you said, um, Charlotte, it can be really difficult to talk to other people about how you're feeling. And I know that certainly from the um, piece of research that I've already done is a lot of people said, you know, my family, my friends, that they are my support network, but I don't feel like I can really talk to them about the things that I'm really scared of. Um, You know, like death, what if the cancer comes back? Um, You know, they're worried about upsetting, upsetting them that their role kind of within the family and friends has changed and they're not who they were. And that can be a really hard thing to come to terms with. Um, I know that um, a lot of people um, struggle to know where where to go. And it can be difficult, especially in sort of these times with, with, I suppose, pressures on the NHS being what they are. Um, What I would say is that, you know, clinical nurse specialists are are really well equipped um, to at least signpost you and talk to you about of what you're experiencing um i think a lot of people really want to be sort of proactively asked about what they're feeling um that isn't always possible but i i do know that um clinical nurse specialists and your gp um will always be willing to listen um and they, they may be able to give you some um sort of support around resources or um talking therapies or something in that area um in your region that, that may be available to you. Um, but I think the probably one of the worst things you can do is sort of not tell anyone um, and keep it to yourself um, because then it does feel so much worse. Um, and certainly a lot of people, I mean, maybe you can't say a problem shared is a problem halved in this case, 
but certainly it it can it can make you feel a little bit better to share yeah there's a lot there's some unburdening if nothing else yeah exactly there's Although, definitely a bit of catharsis having just said unburdening that just makes it sound like you're putting it onto somebody else to carry and that's not what it's about <laughs> at all is about. it no no and 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 certainly a lot of people said that they they worry about being a burden on family on friends on on their own doctors and i think part of it is is actually because um for if you're sort of thinking about your surgeon who operated on you or your oncologist who's given you chemotherapy it can be really hard to admit um that you're struggling emotionally um or feeling down or feeling afraid um because people have said well you know they've put all this effort into getting me better i need to i need to show that i was worth you know operating on i need to seem like i'm doing really well but actually you know it's it's understandable that you wouldn't be 100% right away. Um, yeah, it's like an obligation think, almost, isn't it? That you've it, got yeah, to be absolutely you've fine. Got to be, yeah, because I think there's, an, there's sometimes people feel that they don't deserve that kind of treatment if they don't show that they're like not making the most of it. And I think with, with GPs, I, I know that, um, you know, a lot of... So one of the people on our research team is, is a GP and a, quite an experienced one, but she said, um, you know, we've she's been a GP for 30 years and she said, you know, I, I really didn't know a lot about Creon. Um, and lo- and she's, so she's learned a lot from the research that we did just in terms of um, understanding more about the dosage of Creon and, and how sort of challenging it is sort of to, to adjust to the new kind of nutrition needs of, of, um, of kind of living sort of with and after this sort of cancer. And I think as well, you know, a lot of the, the sort of patients and that we interviewed sort of talked about, you know, I know that I know more about this than my GP does, and it can feel really difficult to, to know what to ask for because I don't really know, and I know that they're not sure either because they don't come across it that much, um, and that can be, I think, quite frightening as a patient to feel like you're not quite sure who knows what they're supposed to be doing. And also, I suppose there's this thing of you don't want to tell the GP what to do or what they should be looking for yeah. or should be asking for because. Who are you to say this? You've you not got say? the medical yeah. history, the medical training. It, yeah. And you kind of feel like, well, I won't say anything because I don't want to be I don't know. that person. I don't know for yeah. sure kind of thing as well. Mm. And there's a, yeah, I, I totally understand that. So talked about what you've, what you've been doing, what you're looking at. What would you like, you know, if the we, funding is what it is. <laughs> I hate that phrase. It yeah. is what it is. It is what it, it is. It is what but... it is, but it is. If there was a, a magic money tree, a magic money pot that you could take your fill from and you could get all the funding in the world that you needed, what would you love to be to be looking at and working on? Uh, so my my net my project that I'm hoping to to apply to the magic money tree for money <laughs> for <laughs> um, is a is a sort of three part project almost, and it's um, it's looking at kind of getting more information about i suppose the sort of evolution of um of sort of psychological distress or the psychological impact for patients and i'm focusing specifically on patients who either have uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy so chemotherapy before surgery or who go sort of straight to surgery because i think they have a different experience than than people that um are sort of sadly not able to have sort of treatment you know active treatment at all um and um, and I think that there is a degree to which those patients, the smaller group of patients, maybe get a bit lost in the shuffle about who's meant to be doing what with them. Because there's the surgeon, there's the GP, there's the oncologist, there's just all a bit in the in the middle. Um, 
And so what I'm hoping to do is sort of look at, um, so basically recruit people when they're kind of diagnosed and follow them up over a year or so, um, kind of interview them and, and talk to them at different stages throughout their treatment experience and kind of the initial stages of the recovery and essentially ask them questions and explore the emotional impact um, of what they're going through and also kind of what they how they interpret that and how they experience it Um, because in psychiatry we we might label things as depression or anxiety but actually you know and in those cases you know antidepressants or the medication can be really beneficial but we know that in cancer antidepressants aren't really that helpful Um, they don't really work very well Um, people can use them but they often, if it's sort of cancer-related distress, they're not particularly as beneficial as they might be in, in, in someone that I might see in my day-to-day job. And so um, perhaps that's got something to do with, um, I suppose, what the origin of that distress is, um, perhaps. And it, and, it, and it also is important to know what, what patients think of what they're going through how do they label it um i can label something as depression or distress as much as i want to but if it doesn't have a meaning to the person i'm applying it to then it just doesn't mean anything and it might mean that we can develop some sort of better or different interventions for patients that can reduce sort of any distress that they're going through um improve quality of life and we know that if we improve um sort of mental health we also improve physical health outcomes and vice versa so hopefully you know it it will it will mean if not an easier experience for people at least more options in terms of of support um and developing more of a kind of evidence base around around what the emotional experience is for for patients like this if people are interested in kind of hearing more about my research or kind of what I'm planning to do I'd, I'd love to hear from people or talk to people sort of separately or um, on Twitter or via email or however um, so if people have got particular um, things that they've experienced or think that I should look into um, in terms of the sort of psychological or emotional aspects of of living with this particular cancer then please get in touch because um, I'd love to hear from you um, and I'm happy you know if people would like to have a have a look at some of the papers and things because I think hopefully it might resonate with you and maybe make you feel less alone because I think it can be really lonely um living with 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 illnesses like this um and i'll make sure that those contact details go in the show notes for for people to see as well yeah absolutely so if you want to find out a bit more about what anna does i've put the links to her social media and her everything else in the show notes you can find those and you can get in touch with her Don't forget, we've got an episode for you every weekday this month throughout November for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness. So that is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And of course, if you want to find out a bit more about what we get up to, you can go to purplerainbow.co.uk.